Welcome to the My Essential Birth Podcast. I'm Courtney. And I'm Stephanie. And we're professional doulas, childbirth educators, and the creators of My Essential Birth, the holistic, empowering online childbirth education course helping mothers everywhere confidently achieve their best birth. So join us each week as we share tips and advice for all things pregnancy, birth, and beyond. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you can be the first to get new content. And head over to www.myessentialbirth.com for more information about our birth course and to join a community of mamas just like you. We want to give some love to our reviewer of the week, Tal underscore Black. She says, boss birthing babes. Boom. Can we get some t-shirts yep. that say that? Yes. For my no, Christmas I'm present? Dead serious. Okay, yes. cool. Twinners? Twinners. Perfect. She says, okay, let me tell you. The world of labor and delivery is ridiculous. So much conflicting information, so many strong opinions, and mama shaming. Oh, I keep saying this. We're going to have an episode on these moms groups. I'm just going to start calling people out. <laughs> do it. She goes, not on this podcast. These ladies do such an incredible job balancing necessary information so a mama can make an informed choice. They're straightforward, poised, and funny. I would argue on that poised on one. Video yet. <laughs> <laughs> I've listened to almost every episode and cannot tell you how much more prepared I feel for my first baby. I changed providers at 28 weeks because I felt so uncomfortable and I'm so thankful I listened to my gut. These ladies really encourage you to do so in every facet of your labor and delivery process. I've learned to advocate for myself and communicate clearly what my desires and expectations are to my birth team. At 34 weeks after the podcast and their birthing class my husband and I are ready to rock thank you I think we're gonna throw that boss birthing babes right back to her you're a boss birthing yes it's so good and I love that you're like I I took this path I took this journey I didn't feel comfortable here I changed this thing I did the work and now I'm prepared like that that's the goal right that's what we want every mom to come back and say so way to go all right this is this is a big deal and, and it's a big deal because we're seeing it way more prevalent since mm-hmm. COVID has hit. Uh, but this is like the number one question. This is the constant conversation that Courtney and I are having. And so we're going to tell you what your biggest challenge in the third trimester is. And you might be surprised to know that it's not that you can't eat a ton, that it's not that you're <laughs> swollen, that it's not that you're tired or that you've finally gotten some awesome stretch marks. It's not that you're hormonal or having some acid reflux. It's not that you're not sleeping well, although that does sound pretty bad. <laughs> it's not the crazy pregnancy nightmares that you get or your baby kicking you in the ribs or your inability to take a really deep breath. And let's be honest, the waddle <laughs> is real. And we feel for you for all of those things. They're very real. It sucks. They're definitely challenges in the third trimester. But what's really the biggest challenge? It's induction. Yep. Mic drop. sorry this is the thing that we are talking to women about every single week right now yeah every week it's a lot I sort of feel like a broken record and I'm happy to do that because I want to make sure that you know in our birth group Instagram that the questions are answered but I seriously feel like we're seeing this so much more and I, I don't totally understand why but you know, whatever. I don't either. I feel like COVID has been an excuse for a couple of things and induction is one of them. Yep. So it's a bummer, but it's real. And since it's real, we really need to talk about it. And you guys deserve that information. So I think the common thing is where the messages are, the questions are, I'm at 37, 38, 39 weeks. My doctor is saying that if I hit my due date, quote unquote, if I hit that 40 week due date, 
I need to be induced. So what do I do? And sometimes it's not even the 40 weeks. We, we've had women who are like, they're wanting to induce me at the 39 week, right. but whatever, right? Like they're wanting to. And we saw you. that early on with COVID. We talked about that in one of our COVID episodes. That was like, doctors were coming, not evidence-based. The providers are saying, well, if we induce, then we know how many people are going to actively have COVID during this time, or we we know how long you're going to be here. We can get you in and out faster. It's safer for you and be, it's Right, or like we could true. do your test a few days before and negative and then have it coordinated so you don't have to worry about. Yes. There were a lot All of reasons. reasons. But here's the overriding feeling that we're getting from a lot of you is that you don't want to be induced. That's not, yeah, that's not what you want to have happen. That wasn't part of the experience that you envisioned or the goals that you have for your birth. Right. And the moms that we're seeing too, these are women that don't have underlying causes or very few of them do like things like high blood pressure or preeclampsia or any other risk factor that makes it so they need to be, be induced. That's not what we're seeing. These are healthy, low risk, just normal mamas going to do their thing that are having this come up to, to yeah. them. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes you'll get a provider that's, um, I don't want to say inventing because I have to be careful here, but sort of coming up with a reason why it would be a good idea. But like you said, I think it's back to your studies though. When we yeah. talked about those studies and you, you looked at like a salaried doctor versus this and being able to take vacation versus not knowing when mom's going to go into labor, like there's other things involved. I'm that- sure it's a whole... I'm sure there's a lot of factors that go into this. But um, we do know that more inductions mean more interventions, which leads to more cesarean births. And most women's goal, no matter if they choose to utilize medication or give birth unmedicated, they're they're looking to, at the very least, avoid that cesarean birth if possible. Right. And with women knowing like you're already at a risk of a cesarean birth, one in three women are going to have this. I'm going to say, and we've kind of talked about this before, one in three unknowledgeable, uneducated, didn't pick the right provider. Women are going to have a yeah. one in three chance of having a cesarean birth. And so an induction is a surefire way to increase that on. Yeah. And if you are knowledgeable, you are prepared, you are with the right provider, then it's going to be about one in 10. And so I, I don't want to make any woman who's had a cesarean birth and, you know, you did all the things. We had one in our birth course come up and she was like, you know, this ended up being necessary. And we've talked about this before, but I knew that I had done all the things and we'd made all the right choices along the way. And so I was at peace about that. I mean, you've had a cesarean. They are necessary. I don't want to yeah. get around. Yeah. But it's not it's not, not the one as in three. necessary. Yes, <laughs> it's not one. In three. Exactly. All right. Let's jump into what happens during an induction, because I think, too, if you have the knowledge about what could be happening, you can make a better educated decision when yep. you're being brought that information. And in fact, it reminds me of a woman that we talked to recently who was facing an induction and she was trying to avoid it, obviously. And one of the questions came about, luckily she was asking questions, right? She knew to ask questions. And so she said, well, what happens? What do you do? And she came back to us talking about Cytotech. They want to give me Cytotech. Tell me more about that. Yeah. And so we did. And and we included, here's the FDA label. Here's the fact that it, it is a prostaglandin. Here's what it does for your cervix. Here's the other side of it. It can have a great effect and work and whatever. But yeah. here's your risks as well what do you want to do? And she was like, yeah, they never told me any of those risks. And if it's used for this off-label, 
um, for abortion, quite honestly. Maybe I, I don't want to be using that with my baby. Anyways, so she had some other options. She, she could ask for another medication that she was more comfortable with. She ended up going through with that induction. But yeah. I think she ended up doing it with Cervidil and, and a couple different things. So I think just being knowledgeable enough to be able to ask the right questions even makes a huge difference. But let's talk about what happens, what the norm looks for like like for an induction. Yeah. And just like our reviewer said, there's no shaming here. We're just giving you the facts. We're giving yeah. you the information. We're trying to do that in a balanced way. And then the decision making is in your hands and what you choose to do at that point. We're totally supportive of. Yeah. Great. Great thing to say. Clark. I know. Yes. Sorry. The touchy so feely side no. of me wants to make sure everybody's feeling warm and fuzzy. Well, it's true though. That's like the big thing. Like yeah. you deserve the right to make the decisions for yourself. No one should be forcing you into that. And then not be shamed for them. And not be shamed for it. Nice. Okay. I will say it's frustrating the way that they induce. Does it bug you at all? Yes, but let's <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about why. Uh, yeah, go they, ahead. They always start at night. Why? I I've think, heard a few that start in the morning, but why? I don't. I think my theory is that um, maybe they've looked at an average timeline. They go, okay, we know that this is going to take a while. We ideally want this woman to deliver during um, reasonable hours for the provider. And so if we start it the night before, then she'll have to, so by the time she's ready to deliver, it's not like, you know, 4 a.m. the next morning. Yeah, right. So basically moms are getting there six or seven o'clock at night. And so starts the rigmarole, right? Like you're not in bed. I mean, you're not, I don't think you're sleeping very well anyways, but you're not in bed until about 10 o'clock by the time that they're done with everything. Yeah. And you're already tired. You're hooked up to monitors. You have an IV, obviously. So you have to be, this is continuous monitoring because it's an induction. They're going to be using Pitocin. You have to have an IV. So it, all of that is going to keep you definitely close to the bed, right? Yeah. Um, but constant, constant monitoring. And you're, you're tired, but it's, it's like a... It's like a nervous energy tired or like an excited energy tired. Maybe you're excited, right? right? Maybe you've got some adrenaline going, but either way, you're not getting a whole lot of rest um, because they're, they're going to be coming in necessarily to check on everything and see how things are going. Okay. Before we get into this next part, reminder about the Bishop score, right? Not to get yeah. into all of that, but in other words... If they're talking induction and your bishop score isn't where it needs to be, you should probably be having another conversation anyways, particularly if you're low risk. There's no medical reason for induction. Um, But basically, are you even ready to be starting the process? Um, And a lot of times, especially when we're talking about dilation and your cervix being ripe or soft, um, no, you're not. And so there's a lot of mechanical things that that need to happen. And so the first thing that we see is that they use the cervical ripener. Now, we mentioned Cytotec. Not going to get into all that here. There's another one called Cervidil. Same thing. Not going to get into to all the side notes of that, but you'll have a cervical ripener put on your cervix, placed on your cervix. And the idea is that it will soften that cervix so that it can... It's like a gel. Thin. I don't know if you've explained that before. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and Cytotec is a pill. Right. So, right. There will be something... D- depending on what you use. <laughs> ...put up there to soften it. And then oftentimes we see, especially with moms that are not dilated um, or very like one centimeter dilated, you know, they're putting a Foley bulb in. And so this is... They put this like straw that kind of goes through your cervix so that you know probably doesn't feel super great and then there's a balloon on the end of the straw unless your bishop score is like hey i'm already three centimeters dilated might be a little bit well but then they probably wouldn't use a fully bulb never mind sorry keep going yeah 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 so if if you're not dilated enough they use a fully bulb if you are then they start with the cervical ripener and pitocin right um but so this is an option it's the little straw through the cervix probably not very comfortable there's a balloon on the end of it they inflate it we've got 
images and videos of all this in the course if you're curious but um, and what that does is the balloon puts pressure on the cervix to mechanically or manually dilate the cervix so not the most comfortable thing you know we're talking about you get to bed at 10 but you've got yeah. all this stuff going on inside of Typically you. Typically in a, in a more uh, natural setting, it would be baby's head that would yes. be making contact with your cervix and helping it to dilate. But right. in this case, we're using a straw and a balloon. <laughs> <laughs> Not to be tried at home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. I want to think about that. So like Steph said, you've got all this going on. You're probably not getting a ton of rest. I mean, there's monitors beeping. There's people talking. There's even if you got your door shut, there's lights coming yeah. in from under the door. You can hear people walking by um, and you're not at home in your own cozy bed which is hard enough to sleep in during the <laughs> yeah, third trimester you're right? already uncomfortable yeah. then you've got the blood pressure cuff going off however often that goes off and then the changing of nurses which they're on different shifts and so they always come to tell you like this is nurse whoever and she's gonna be taking over and you're like why are you talking to me just you're fine I'm taking care of walk away but they need <laughs> to tell you that the nurse is gonna be there who they're gonna be and all that so that's part of it too inductions do often take a while and that's why they're typically started in the evening so that they don't need to attend to you until morning um, if you desire though you can ask to be induced in the morning and not overnight that's an option one of the most common reasons for transfer from home birth is actually maternal exhaustion. And I bring this up because if you start with a mom who is tired and throw her into the throes of labor, the chances of intervention, um, epidural, cesarean birth is all going to increase just naturally. Um, a, a mom who is going like before you even get contractions started she's had a bad night of sleep or sometimes the cervidil or cytotec will cause contractions so then you didn't have any sleep yeah and then you add pitocin which we know those contractions are much more difficult to deal with um and they don't always get to a place where they can turn off the pitocin so yeah all of that is just going to lead to a little more intervention a little more hands-on so with all this you're going to have continuous monitoring and if they don't have a wireless monitor that means that you're going to need to stay in bed and that can be kind of hard because that restricts some freedom of movement right and we know that walking is really important during early labor and so if you don't have the ability to do that even within your room right now with COVID, it just progression progression is going to stall out or it's going to take you a little longer to get to that next place of dilation and and moving forward and i think overall it's just going to make for a less comfortable experience yeah and of so. course then there's ina may gaskin she's the mother of midwifery and she would talk about and share stories about how if she had a woman in early labor who was kind of having an inconsistent um labor pattern she would send them outside to go on a hike or and to be with their partner and have some get moving be with somebody they know love and trust and that often did the trick yeah and also being in nature which this is like a site right because that's yeah. not going to happen anyways but I will say with my third baby we decided to take a walk and we took it outside which felt honestly a little uncomfortable to me because I was like this isn't my safe space yeah but at the same time like the trees were beautiful and the air was fresh and the yeah. sky was really pretty and I think I don't know just I, I don't not to get too foofy here but like we come from mother earth and we're part of this and I think there's something to it when we're yeah. birthing and seeing that in real life so it's kind of a bummer that they like some I know that some hospitals do have like atriums and stuff and yeah. I think it does make a difference in like how you feel and and your comfort so yeah Anyways, it, it, I think connection and you're feeling supported by the earth that was totally but she, 
through. She did. Ta- you know. I know, but she did. <laughs> she did talk about. Ina May Gaskin talks about like when I send them on a hike. Like it's part of. It's quiet and it's in nature, and you're it's also grounding. moving your body. And yeah. there's there were a lot of factors to it. So births like this, where they're managed from the beginning, oftentimes make mom feel like my body doesn't work. Right. Like I yeah. couldn't do this on my own. I couldn't get here by my own. Um, I needed these things for my body right. to I, be able yeah, to couldn't do birth. this by myself, which is not true. How many times do we hear from women who have told us my body just wouldn't go into labor? It just wouldn't do it. Well, it would eventually. <laughs> right. <laughs> At some point, there's a way out here. Yeah. I feel like when we're talking induction with women um, or I'm coming up to my due date or I'm 41 weeks or I'm like, let's bring it back to due dates. So I think yeah. we need to have like a little refresher here and talk about due dates, how how they come about, what was really going on behind the scenes, and then what you need to know so that when you're walking into your birth space, you have information kind of firing off in your mind before talking to your provider. Right, because you might not be, quote unquote, air quotes, overdue. The way they calculate due dates is the same for every single woman. It's based off your last missed period, and they're assuming a 28-day cycle and that you ovulate on day 14. I did have... um. He's the guy that delivered my first two babies. I did have a great OB who happened to ask me, are your cycles 28 days? Like he knew to ask that, but he didn't ask me what day I ovulated because it's not on day, wasn't smack dab in the middle, right. you know? Yeah. And w- you know that if you're someone that tracks your cycle, right? And that yeah. was kind of my, if you track your cycle, you know that that's not good information. Right. Um, because the truth is women don't consistently have 28 day cycle. Even the same woman can have cycles that are all over the place. You can have a 28 day cycle and then you have a 32 day cycle. For me, yeah. like my whole time I was giving birth, it was between 30 and 32 days. And I didn't track anything until I was trying to get pregnant after my third. And I found out that I ovulate super late, like between same. day 19 to 22. Yeah. So if you have a mom that that's the case, if, if they're going off of that 14 days, but I haven't ovulated until almost a week later. And then there's time for implantation. Mm-hmm. You're calling me overdue a week early. So if you're saying that I'm overdue at 40 weeks, I'm actually only at 39. Yeah. And then so but the flip side of that, right, is that maybe you're buying yourself a little time if you're somebody that has a longer or shorter cycle, but you ovulate a week before, like maybe you ovulate day <laughs> seven, eight, nine then your your due date of 40 weeks maybe you're actually 40 plus 5 yeah. or you know so i that i think that is huge and i see that a lot more we see that a lot more with home birthing midwives birth center midwives they take that into account and they don't just instantly and i won't say that's not a blanket statement of course Every midwife's right. going to be different, but a lot of them I have seen, they take into account the whole woman and they talk about her cycle quite a bit. Well, and I, I feel like this is just well, like, well, duh, court, but the average, the average gestation for first time moms is 41 weeks and one day. That means that you're going to have women that give birth to healthy babies before that time. But in order for that to be the average, there had to be women who went past that and right. went on to have healthy babies. So I do I do get irritated when providers are like, hey, you're 39 weeks. Let's just go ahead and schedule your induction a week from now just in case. I'm like, well, no. What about... It's an average, man. It's an average. Right. So, well, and then we've got the ultrasound that comes in and we, we know that it's most accurate between 11 to 13 weeks, but that most accurate is still like a small percentage. It's like 60% accurate. And it has, anyways, there's other factors that come in and it's kind of a mess. So I'd say the best thing 
Take note, if you didn't keep track this pregnancy, keep track of your cycle coming up to getting pregnant the next time. Just so you have an idea. Don't Just a couple cycles yeah. to know when do I ovulate, how long are they. Take all of that into account because that's a conversation to have with your provider and it's a very serious one, especially when we're talking induction, which seems to be rampant. Um, and thinking about the fact that if they're talking about inducing you at 39 weeks and that baby's really 38, like you're pushing it, you know, and there's yeah. a reason that our babies take the time that they do with our bodies to, to make it outside of our bodies. Yeah. And all of this is to say the whole reason we're covering due dates and all that stuff right now is to say that your body is not broken. This system is broken. It's not you. It's very rare that a woman's body doesn't know how to go into labor and get things moving. When it's allowed to. When it's allowed to right? unfold that way. I know. It's unfortunate because we do we do get messages. No, like my body wouldn't do it. I've had to be induced every single time. Like, I bet you ovulate late, you know? Yeah. Or I, you know, it's it's crazy to me that I, it just, it's so uncommon to see a mom that her body does not know what to do. Her baby doesn't know what to do. The hormones don't happen, you know, when yeah. allowed to. And I can say that confidently because the the issues that we see are all with moms birthing in the hospital. Because when we attend these births that are out of hospital and you know we are happy both sides, like this is nothing. We're no, not pitting one yes, against the other. Not at all. But when we see these other births on the other side, birth center and home births, and these moms are not only allowed but encouraged to allow to have their body go into to labor on its own they do yeah and so it's easy to say nope I don't think that's a problem I think bodies do know how to do that so what should you do to avoid an induction let's talk about that this conversation about induction needs to happen early in your pregnancy like right now if you haven't had it it needs to happen now yeah, and maybe we haven't stressed that enough. And so this is your like big warning sign. If you're in first trimester, have the induction conversation now. Yep. And you're not going to start with, will you induce me? Is the plan to induce? Like it's not. Okay, yeah. Tell us what they would say. What would you say to your provider? Well, there's some questions, right? So okay. the question is like, so what happens if I go past my due date? Uh, how many moms do you see that have their babies after 40 weeks? And what are the options if I pass my due date? Let mm. them put their foot in their mouth. I like, <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> I like these questions, though, because if you go in asking, how often are you doing induction? How many inductions do you got under your belt? That's, you're going to get a defensive response. Totally. I don't care who you're talking to. It's likely to be defensive. These questions are a little more... Um, I don't want to say they're gentle. They're gentle, but you're going to get a feel for what actually happens there. And because they're not an overly def like put you on the defensive, intimidating sort of question, you're more likely to get the real response. And I just have to say, if you are coming up to your due date and you still haven't had this conversation, it's not too late. Have it now. Have it now. You can have it now. Yeah, because the problem is the conversation from the provider side is happening at 37, 38, 39 weeks when it's very hard and stressful to think about having to change a provider. Yes, you can change it any time, but yes, that's also more stressful for a mother. And so they know it's less likely to happen. So especially if it hasn't come up yet, you haven't had this conversation absolutely now's the time and I would say listen in the response for specific answers if it's like well of course unless there's an emergency I, I'm I get tired of that like unless there's a medical reason because they can because their medical reason might be different than what I would deem medical and no I'm not medical but you know what I mean like well, as a mom I can I can take in information the problem is it's it's after it happens. You look back and you're like, no, that wasn't actually that that wasn't reason. evidence based. That wasn't necessary. Yeah. So it's getting all the information beforehand so you don't end up looking back and saying, whoops, 
Well, and we have, we, we've talked about this when we talked about failure to progress, right? There was an OB who said, you know, I, I look to these midwives because they're, they're really good at doing nothing well. And I'm looking at everything through the lens of obstetric emergency because that's what I'm trained in. And so if the answer is that, well, only if there's an emergency, you know, only if there's a medical issue would we recommend induction, you have to understand that their perspective, and this is what they're trained to have, and we're grateful for this in um, certain instances, but they're trained to look for those things. And sometimes that can mean seeing issues where an issue may not actually exist. And so can I just repeat these? Because I'm I'm sure we have people listening that are going to want to go, what were those questions again? Yeah. And maybe you're hitting the back 15 seconds button and it's throwing <laughs> you off. So here's what those questions are. And these are brilliant. What happens if I go past my due date? How many moms do you see that have their babies after 40 weeks? And what are the options I have if I pass my due date? You really need to make note of those. Uh, it's important to note too, and you guys are going to you're going to think we're being mean, but we're not being mean. But out of, the truth is out of hospital births rarely start with induction uh, and certainly not mechanical induction. And and first of all, due dates can be more set according to all the information like we talked about before, rather than just going off the 28 day menstrual period and the 14 day ovulation cycle. Um, but they're also not allowed to induce like they do in the hospital. They're not authorized. To they're do not. That. Yes, they're yeah. not. Yeah, not allowed. <laughs> not allowed. Yeah, they're not authorized. Um, and they know you talked about that just with that quote that you that you just said. But out of hospital birth is they're trained in normal, and so it's the same with doulas. Like we know normal very very well. Um, And so that's the eye that we have for it. And so the other part of that is a mom that's coming up to 42 weeks. The only time that we see out of hospital birthing midwives start to help things along for a mother is if they're going to be risked out of care. There's many laws in place that say that, you know, midwives can't attend your birth after 42 weeks. So the only reason they're looking to help things along is usually because they don't they don't want you to go past where they can help you. Right. And you don't want them to. <laughs> if yeah. your plan is to have an out of hospital birth with that midwife, then yes. And and what we see them doing is much more natural, right? Like it's a aggressive vaginal exam. Right, or we're talking about the stripping of the membranes, or some clary sage oil, or, or some acupuncture oil. Yes, yeah. yeah. So all the things. I just want to clarify something we said earlier. When we say that they're trained in normal, that doesn't mean that they can't spot an issue if one exists. Yeah. It just means that they're they're very patient. If they see something and they feel strongly that no, we need to refer you or transfer your care, they're very good about doing that. But they're not they're not going to see problems where one doesn't exist. It is your responsibility to know what your options are and what is evidence-based and what's not and what's safe and what's not. Please don't allow yourself to be bullied into an induction just based off your due date, just because you're, you know, oh, you're coming up on your due date or you're passing your due date or I can't let you go past you know, 40 weeks or whatever. Right. We also always recommend that you trust your intuition. Um, but there's there's also things on the back end that can be done and that can satisfy the provider and also make it so that you're not being induced. And that's things like the non-stress test, right? Mom comes into the hospital. She's hooked up. They check mom and baby. They're seeing how baby's handling contractions or either words, the stress of labor. Um, they check your blood pressure. All of those things matter. And it's kind of that like, okay, we've checked that box. I feel comfortable. You feel 
feel comfortable. Now we're going to let this progress as it normally should. Yeah, because that's that's really what it should be. If you're doing fine and you're safe and healthy, and if your baby is doing fine and they're safe and healthy, then there's really not much of a reason to not let your body go into labor on its own. Right. Um, and same, you know, other things are like keeping track of the baby's movements um, and anything else that you're asked to do from your provider, you know, provided it's <laughs> not too crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, all those things will make it easier on you and easier on your provider to say, yes, you're doing well. Let's keep things at home. I think ideally, though, you have a provider that from the very beginning is like, no, we don't. There's no reason to induce, you know, let's yeah. if there's some medical issues or, you know, they for whatever reason are finding protein in your urine or there is high blood pressure or there's some other medical condition, then great. Have that conversation. But if not, then absolutely allowing it to progress on its own is going to be best for mom and baby. Yeah. I just thought of another question we could add to this too. If they respond with, well, I would only induce in the event of an emergency, you could then ask what would be some examples of that? Right. Right. What are, what are some medical emergencies that would require induction? Questions, questions, questions. Every yeah, response can asking. warrant another question. Right. Get yeah. to the, get to the bottom of this. <laughs> but here's the thing. You have enough to worry about during those final weeks of pregnancy and unnecessary induction shouldn't be one of them that's stressing you out. Yeah. You should be able to kick back and worry more about which cute outfit you're going to match your baby in when they're born <laughs> um, or what to eat before you pop that baby out. Like those kinds of things are really where your mind should be. Exactly. You deserve to walk into your birth space and into labor stress-free, trusting your body and the process and just being prepared for the work of birth. We want to tell you too that we are so happy that you are here learning with us and getting educated and crazy knowledgeable, that you're asking questions, that you're leaning on us for support and that we can help you with that support. Um, and you're preparing yourself in every way to have the birth that you desire, which is honestly the birth that you deserve. All right, mamas, we will be back with more tips and advice soon. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe so that you get notifications first about new episodes. And don't forget to head over to myessentialbirth.com for more information on the birth course and to join our online community serving pregnant mamas just like you. 